I would look at something like ZIN, so our Equal Aid Industrials, you know, as a way to invest in companies that should directly benefit from the deal. You're looking at airports, roads, bridges, transit, rail, you know, alternative energy transportation. These should all give ZIN a nice boost. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. This week, the Biden administration signed the highly anticipated $1 trillion infrastructure bill, a bill that will spur the breaking of ground at a record pace across the United States. How should advisors leverage their portfolios to take advantage? Chris Heeks, Matt Montemiro, and your host, Mark Rays, offer key strategies to integrate this significant opportunity into your portfolios. And our experts also discuss the Biden G Virtual Summit, emerging markets, and a timely take on value versus growth. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to our BMO ETF weekly insight call with our team of experts. I'm today's host, Mark Rays, head of product for BMO Game Canada. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today. Appreciate you listening in. Thanks for your time. We're joined today by Matt Montemiro and Chris Heeks, both are portfolio managers on our ETF desk. So thanks to both of you for joining us this morning. Good morning, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Good to be here. Great. Well, thanks again. And let's just get started. Uh, First question that we have in today, certainly advisors noted that President Biden uh, has now signed the one trillion infrastructure deal down in the U.S. Now, of course, we know that's good for something like ZGI or global infrastructure, but I think we can expect that's fairly priced in. But if you look over the life of the plan over the next five years and you look across other industries, Uh, Are there other areas that stand to benefit, and how would you capitalize on this trade with an ETF? Thanks. Let me take this one, Mark. And yeah, after much uh, you know deliberation, you know this has been in the news for for quite some time. I think we finally have the signing of of one of the largest you know infrastructure packages uh, in U.S. history. You know the deal commits uh, 1.2 billion in funds. Uh, with $550 billion directed to new investments in roads, bridges, waterways, public transit. You know, safe to say uh, that this deal will lead to the breaking of ground at kind of a record pace across the entire country. You know, looking at some of the specifics of the deal, uh, you know, here's some of the allocations and the expected spend. You know, you're looking at $110 billion to, to roads and bridges. You're looking at $39 billion to modernize public transit. $66 billion in Amtrak, so passenger rail. It's the largest investment in 50 years. Uh, $65 billion to bolster broadband infrastructure and internet, um, you know, p- trying to provide every American with, with high-speed internet. Uh, $108 billion to improve the electric grid, you know, pushing environmentally friendly smart grid technology. Uh, $15 billion uh, to foster some electric uh, chargers along highways and zero emission buses and ferries. 
you know, 25 billion in airports. So I could go on, but it, you know, these are not small numbers, but it, there's significant investments now, but they're also significant investments uh, into the future. You know, so for an investor who's looking to, you know, capitalize on this and, you know, I would look at, you know, specifically right off the, right off the hop, you know, looking at sectors like basic materials, industrials, transportation, you know, they're going to get a big boost. They're going to get an, an injection of capital. There's going to be, uh, you know, economic plans to to start the construction. And, and I think they want to start this uh, construction as soon as possible. So, you know, I think over the in the near term, you know, these three sectors are, are in for, um, you know, quite the uh quite the uh, bull run. You know, as you mentioned the question, ZGI, you know, probably priced in, also probably still still a, a, a attractive uh, investment. You know, I would look at something like ZIN, so our equal weight industrials, you know, as a way to invest in companies that should directly benefit from the deal. You know, ZIN would be kind of a pure play here. Like if you go down that list that I, I went through, you know, that, that infrastructure spend allocations, that basically aligns with the subsectors of ZIN. You're looking at airports, roads, bridges, transit, rail, you know, alternative energy transportation. These should all give ZIN a nice boost. Um, getting a little bit more granular just on, on, on a couple of the spend, um, you know, something like Z Clean, I thought is interesting. You know, that's 15 billion um, committed to uh, further developing the infrastructure of electric, uh, electric vehicles and zero emission buses and ferries. I think this is uh, just one of what will become many spends toward um, maybe the greenification of um, you know the U.S., but but also the world. So I think Zed Clean. This this is a, a positive story for something like Zed Clean. Um, you know, as this should should create some tailwinds uh, into the future. And then finally, you, you touch on broad data perspective. You know, I do consider this a boost for the economy as a whole. You know, fiscal spend, you know, putting people to work, um, you know, getting uh, people on the ground and, and developing new infrastructure um, is a positive and should be should create some tailwinds for our overall broad beta suite. If you're looking at, you know, just taking trying to take advantage of of um, this infrastructure and this 1.2 uh, trillion uh, dollar spend. Um, in the U.S. over over the you know next five years, as you mentioned. Great, thanks for that, Matt. And you know, as you went down the list, there it felt like each each number that you mentioned was actually a significant spend in and of itself. So you add that all up together, and and that's pretty massive momentum to put behind the economy. And I like the industrials idea, but not to lose sight of how positive it is for the for the market overall when you think about the broad betas like ZSP. Thanks for that. Now, next, let's move on to another topic with a political tie-in where we're seeing video conferencing ongoing between the U.S. and China now. What are they discussing and where do you see the economic impacts? And in particular, can you frame that with ZEM, our emerging market ETF, but as well ZCH, our China ETF, where we just went through a uniholder vote? Thanks. Thanks, Mark. I'll, uh, I'll jump in on this one. It's, it's amazing that a video call is, is making such news as you know a lot of us have been having <laughs> video calls all day, every day for the last year and a half. But it is progress, you know, and the market certainly likes to see that. Certainly one of the problems um, facing emerging markets, of which China is a significant component, is you know U.S. and China relations that were obviously quite strained under Trump. 
we saw some of that um, call it regulatory saber rattling kind of continue with, with Biden as well and those executive orders that were prohibiting investment in certain stocks. So um, it's good to see them come to the table. Like our position was always that they were going to have to work this out. Um, you know, I think simply the Chinese economy is just too under intertwined with the global economy at this point to say, okay, we're just going to, you know, each go our own ways. So I think it's in everyone's best interest to come to the table and figure out, you know, diplomatic solutions to, you know, improve, um, improve everyone's outlook and everyone's kind of business conditions and economic conditions going forward. So, so good to see some progress there. Maybe I'll just go to the long-term drivers uh, of EM, you know, and we've talked about these on the call before, um, EM is like 15% of the MSCI Acqui index. So not a small component of global equities. Um, China is, a, is, a, is, a, is about 40% of that and growing um, as more Chinese investments are allowed into the index and, and their weights increase. Um, emerging markets known for, I'll just rattle a few off, GDP growth. Um, China's looking at, you know, somewhere around five, five-ish percent, call it. You know, obviously, that's quite significant compared to developed markets and, and other EM countries follow that same trajectory. Uh, there's population growth. There's more room for technology adoption. Um, if you look at smartphones, um, you know, 80, 90 percent adoption in developed markets. You look at a country like India, it's about 30 percent. So there's a lot of room for growth in, in, in uh, areas like that. The rise of the middle class is a story you hear about a lot, and that's certainly been evident in China. You know, if you look 10 years ago, China, the Chinese equity market was, um, you know, really much more um, materials and resource focused, a lot more similar to Canada in many ways, energy and materials. Uh, consumers was a relatively small weight. Tech was a relatively smaller weight. But if you look at China today, um, you know, it looks quite similar to the S&P. You know, tech is up around 25%. Um, consumer, consumer stocks, you know, reflecting the rise of the middle class around 25%. Energy and materials have taken a step back and played less of a role in the index. So it's a much more well-rounded index that reflects the growth that has been happening um, in that economy and kind of continues to happen. Reading the headlines on a day-to-day basis, we do, you know, obviously, I think, tend to look at shorter-term difficulties more than longer-term kind of drivers. Um, and certainly there's been no shortage of, of uh, I think, kind of negatives from a Chinese perspective in the short term, Evergrande um, being one. You know, there's been increasing Chinese regulation in various sectors that have impacted certain sectors quite heavily and obviously U.S.-China relations. Um, but if, if you look at, you know, at least two out of the three of those, pretty constructive on, you know, resolution. So one, the first being Evergrande, pretty constructive um, because, again, that's, you know, that credit profile of, 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 of an Evergrande collapsing, that impacts the entire Chinese, um, entire Chinese economy. You know, it impacts the banks, it impacts lending for other businesses. So there's going to be, you know, and, you know, in, in our opinion, there's, there's a, um, a strong incentive to ensure that, you know, there's an orderly kind of reconciliation to those difficulties. And then the other one, I think, resolves U.S.-China, and we're seeing that kind of play out. You know, I think Biden has to be careful, you know, you know, to, he won't want to be seen as giving in to China because that, that will have a negative reaction to his political base. But at the same time, I think there is room for negotiation. So that's a, that's a, that's a positive. You know, the, the one outstanding one is the increasing Chinese regulation, something to keep an eye on. But, but again, I think, um, 
you know, there's a lot more positives than there are negatives over a long-term basis. Um, in, to what, in terms of what we're seeing in the community, you know, uh, EM has obviously pulled back in the last uh, year or so, uh, but starting to see a lot more constructive ideas and trades come out into the market. Uh, Goldman just published uh, a piece uh, that I've yet to dig into in full honesty, but they're talking about 2022, um, and it's titled Slower But More Resilient Growth for China. And that's just one example. We're seeing a lot of uh, pro-emerging markets pieces start to come out. And we've seen a lot of activity in the options market as well uh, this week. A lot of bullish option structures, you know, investors looking to play upside into um, emerging markets to uh, to create some value. So, um, you know, I think going back to that point of being a significant portion of global equities, you know, I think as, in, as investors, we want to be diversified and, and that's the only free lunch in, in investing, as it's popular, popularly said. Uh, ZEM is a great way to play emerging markets, 25 basis point ETF, very low cost for getting access to, um, you know, almost a thousand companies across the emerging market spectrum. As I mentioned, uh, you know, Mark, that's 40% from China. And, you know, one thing I like about ZEM is it's just it's consistently second quartile. It's very consistent. And I think that comes from the discipline of the index approach and the diversification that you have within the index. You know, a lot of times in EM, you'll see, um, you know, active managers will win one year, but then you know, they might win really strong in one year, but they'll, they'll lose badly in the next year. That's because, you know, emerging markets, there's a lot of country-specific risk and security-specific risk. So the index approach, I think, is a really solid one to lean into. Um, and and, I'll be, and like I mentioned, lots of exposure to China there. And then ZCH, it's a great time to, to talk about that because, uh, you know, as you know, we've just announced an index change that will be taking effect in early December, just in a kind of couple weeks here. And so that's our BMO China ETF. And we'll be switching from a, from a DR index, so from an index composed of ADRs, uh, to a China ESG leaders index. So we'll be investing in local Chinese markets. Um, it's a much more comprehensive index and well-rounded index because there's just so many more securities to select from. And, you know, the additional benefit is, is um, you know, there's for a lot of these companies in China to get exposure to these the Chinese growth profile, you have to go invest in the local markets because, um, you know, you know, certain say kind of call them multinational businesses will have to exposure to China, but China does, you know, have a regulatory oversight. So if you want to invest in China, the best way to do it, in my opinion, is is to be in the local market. And that will be what we will be doing with that in just a couple of short weeks. So looking forward to that. But, you know, I think I've been on the call bullish on EM and, and I hope it didn't take too long, but I think it's something that, you know, advisors can um, can take a look at. If you don't have it, it can play a role. And I think from a long-term perspective, I think there's a lot of reasons to look at it positively. Thanks, Chris. And you know, when I look at what's been put out on these talks, the the words that seem to be coming out uh, more than anything are communication and cooperation. You know, even going so far as it's calling each other old friends from their from their time back as vice presidents uh, on both sides. So, I think it's it's an opportunity for them to really. Uh, thaw things out a little bit, which should be positive for, for Chinese equities and emerging markets overall. As well, you, you touched on the index change to the ESG leaders. I think uh, that's a really interesting approach that we're taking in that in emerging markets and in China, there's there's a real opportunity when you put those ESG screens on to, to differentiate that exposure. 
just because they're in earlier stages of ESG adoption. So because of that, we're we're actually really excited to see that uh, that change come into play. And as as we've talked about before, ESG can bring in a bit of a quality bias to the portfolio, you know, because of that governance look and transparency and all those other good things. So uh, a, a really positive change, and looking forward to that coming through. You're listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to tune into our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO Gam's product suite. Check out episode 69 in this same podcast series where we take a deeper look at fixed income and equity solutions to hedge against inflation from U.S. tips and real return bonds to base metals and oil. Now let's change direction and go to fixed income because this is probably still our number one point where advisors are coming in with with comments and questions, certainly with inflation picking up, uh, rising yields, certainly causing problems uh, for advisors. So we've been asked for an update on emerging market bonds with ZEF, uh, particularly as advisors look at the higher yield coupled with the shorter duration in the Canadian market. So how do EM bonds look against historical norms? And as well, can you give us your outlook for 2022 using ZEF? Thanks. Well, I can take this one. And, you know, so emerging market debt has been uh, a very popular place for investors to look for yield over the last 18 months. You know, like many other risk assets, uh, EM debt has performed strongly during the recovery if you if you take it from the post-March 2020 snapshot. You know, looking at spreads, you know, spreads obviously have, have compressed. Um, and EM was a place where investors felt, you know, comfortable getting that extra yield. You know, it's 70-30 investment grade high yield. And then with global stimulus packages, you know, that really helped uh, level off some of the volatility that we saw in in, in EM. So EM for, for the last 18 months has been a, has been a uh, a strong contributor of performance for a lot of investors. Um, looking year to date, though, you know we have seen some underperformance in EM debt. You know, and I, and I am a little bit concerned uh, about some of the headwinds that I see coming in in 2022. You know, we look at volatility that's that's picked up earlier this year as the Delta variant kind of ravaged many EM countries. Um, now we are seeing inflation that's uh, plaguing these economies, supply chain issues and labor shortages that are limiting output, as well as you know global growth forecasts that continue to set expectations lower. So you know although you know Kristen in his answer, you know, still higher growth rates in some of the developed economies, you know those those lower expectations can hurt um, in the near term. You know right now uh, I am concerned. Um, about potential downside risk that we could see in EM. You know, China, I know we just discussed it quite a bit in the last answer, but it does seem fragile with, you know, we saw the Evergrande and, and, and uh, some of the real estate uh, issues and concerns that, that are continuing to threaten um, the, the entire Chinese economy. Um, you know, and I, I would worry that that, would, that could spread throughout you know, not just China, but, you know, I often say, you know, as China goes, as do many other EM-linked economies. So that's definitely a concern for me on the downside. You know, just looking at uh, EM from a historical spread perspective, 
Um, you know, we still remain around historical norms, but but the trend over the last four or five months has definitely been a widening of, of credit spreads, uh, specifically EM spreads. You know, the, the market has been slowly pricing in um, some of the concerns that, that I just kind of addressed. You know, if you are bullish on EM, I do think that this could be a buying opportunity because we have seen spreads widen out. But when I look at it compared to other risk assets in, in, in the fixed income space, I don't necessarily see the risk reward here. I, I see that there's more downside here than potential other areas uh, where you could kind of reach for yield. So if I were looking for yield, I would be uh, looking at uh, high yield. So I would look at something like ZHY, so that gives you a 4% yield uh, in an un, uh, under four-year duration. So similar, um, similar aspects as you're seeing in EM. Uh, or if you're, if you're concerned that rates are going to go up um, very quickly next year, which I think is, is a, the, the expectation you know, across the board, ZFH could be an interesting uh, investment. It gives you that high yield credit spread but it eliminates basically all of your interest rate um, risks. So basically having no duration. So could be a way to enhance yield within a portfolio while basically eliminating that duration exposure. So those could be two ways to traditionally play um, high yield. Uh, another way, and Mark kind of touched on it in, in his uh, preface to, or the, the, I guess the conclusion to, to Chris's answer. You know, I look at ESG high yield through our ETF of ESGH, uh, as a as a very attractive um, position right now because it's really you're still getting that yield premium so you're still getting a four percent yield and in, in less than a, a uh, four years of duration but what you what you're getting is that quality high yield you're getting those additional ESG screens that additional governance um, and that tends to be about a five to six percent allocation in, in in a higher quality. Uh, issuers versus traditional high yield. So that could be another interesting way um, to, to play high yield in the current, uh, current market. So, you know, why high yield over EM? You know, I do view that there's fewer headwinds in high yield. You know, most high yield issuers are uh, well-funded right now. We've seen record issuance in high yield over the last 18 months. Uh, that should give most high yield issuers, you know, another two years before refinancing becomes a concern. Generally, that refinancing, uh, especially in a period of rising rates, can create volatility. So I do believe that that should ease some volatility uh, ahead. As well, during a rising rate environment, high yield tends to be more resilient. Spreads tend to be more resilient than we would see uh, in, in investment grade. Um, it's just a little bit less correlated and, and it's, uh, it's a little bit less sensitive to um, rising interest rates because of that additional credit spread that you're getting from, from, these, from these lower um, rated issuers. So, you know, overall, I think high yield uh, plays a, a great role in a portfolio, just similar to EM. You're getting the diversification benefits at a portfolio level. Uh, it's an excellent complement to uh, the rest of a, a of a traditional fixed income or a traditional Canadian investment grade fixed income portfolio. And right now, when I just look at the risk reward, I look at high yield has fewer headwinds than EM, and and I'm a little bit more constructive in in high yield to get that uh, get that moderate duration and uh, yield premium that that a lot of investors are looking for. Great, thanks for that, Matt. And 
you know, it's okay that we don't always recommend every ETF. I think that adds validity to these discussions. So your your pivot to high yield is is certainly well noted there. I want to ask another one back on the equity side of the markets, where we spent a lot of time earlier this year uh, talking about the value rotation, and it's since quieted down a fair bit. Uh, but we have had a number of questions come in from advisors talking about stepping back into that value trade uh, in 2022, whether that's appropriate or not. So your thoughts on value versus growth and perhaps put it in context with ZVU or U.S. value ETF. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Mark. And, uh, you know, I'll also bring ZVC or Canadian one into the discussion because I think it's interesting as to the discussion. But, uh, yeah, if you look at the last year, um, you know, value has been in line with the index. Uh, in the U.S., about 27% return. Uh, values outperformed in Canada by about 7%. So it's up 30. The value that VC is up 39 versus 32 on the index. So for value to have you know performance in line with the index on a one year, um, you know, has been a bit of an accomplishment in re- recent memory because as we know, value kind of underperformed for a while. If you look at the U.S., uh, as you mentioned, a lot of that gain came in in H1. You know, and at the very end of last year as well, when we had that vaccine. Uh, first vaccine positive news from from Pfizer um, really kicked off this kind of value reopening trade last November, and uh, and and yeah, so it sort of um, buttered out a little bit into the second half of the year. You know, the S and P's been very strong, um, other than the kind of late September had a bit of a head fake, um, looked like a potential correction, but uh, you know has has just kind of sh- sh- brushed off the dust and, and gone higher. Um, in Canada, you know, it's been a little different. I'd say that value trade has tended to be strong more consistently for that, you know, over that one-year basis. And, you know, that's in part driven by higher commodity prices, um, benefiting some of the resource stocks and, and economic reopening. You know, Canada itself, I think if you look at Canada as a, as a country within the, the spectrum of global investment is somewhat of a value market. Um, and people are looking at, you know, Playing Canada as a as a, as part of a reopening trade, so I think um, there's a couple levels of value working for the value exposure in Canada at a country level, and then also within the stock level. So to get to your question, you know, the look forward, I I think we I think you know I'm still constructive on value um, going forward, despite the you know this but despite you know the last few months not being as strong in the US, but I think there's a couple things still happening. Two two big things. One is, you know, the economic reopening is is really still happening. And, you know, I think we've yet to see the full impact of that economic re- reopening flow into earnings. And, you know, what that'll potentially do for value is, you know, obviously value stocks have have um, you know, strong earnings relative to their price if we're using PE as a multiple. Um, but that that earnings is going to continue to get stronger. So the value, you know, the value is going to, you know, continue to have uh, better value characteristics as long as the economic reopening has, and that's our base case. You're reading some interesting, you know, uh, data points. You know, shopping centers in the U.S. are actually at um, slightly above pre-COVID levels. You're seeing, you know, kind of a rally in those those and uh, REITs like retail REITs both north and south of the border. So I think that's still happening. So I think that's, that's A, that's one benefit for value. And then the second thing I think about is the factor cycle and, you know, doing more thinking about the rising interest rate environment that we're, we're looking at over the next couple of years. Um, 
you know, we're looking at multiple hikes by the by the Bank of Canada next year. I think the market's pricing in, um, you know, four to five of them um, right now for next year and 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 more in 2023 as well. Um, and similarly, in the Fed, they're a bit behind schedule, but they are they are coming right as is, 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 is the consensus. Looking at it, a factor point of view, there's it's been a while since we had a true hiking cycle, but value has tended to perform um, very well in hiking cycles. And I think the intuition is. Um, you know, when you look at higher, and we saw this with tech earlier this year, when interest rates went high, tech is known for more kind of longer duration cash flows because a lot of their growth and their earnings are out in the future. So the impact of higher rates can create pressure on the tech sector. Um, whereas if you look at value stocks on average, they have a, a lot of current um, cash flows coming in, and that's what makes them have value at this point in time. So when you look at the impact of higher rates, it has less effect on value stocks. So, you know, when you go back and, um, you know, MSCI has done some work on this, you know, as well as some others, um, there's a, a pretty good uh, argument to be made that that value can perform well in the factor cycle. And actually, if you look at the correlation of just simply U.S. yields and excess value returns, um, they're tracking positively right now. So as, as yields had come down, value underperformed. But now as yields are coming back up, value is outperforming. So I think there could be some merit there too. So a couple of reasons why I think value could continue to benefit and, um, you know, a couple of things to think about uh, when you're positioning your portfolio. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And, and good to hear support behind that uh, value trade going forward. So with that, that's all the questions we have for today. So I want to thank everyone for joining us. We really appreciate you listening in. And of course, we appreciate your time. Thanks as well out to Matt and Chris, some excellent answers today, some good thought-provoking conversations around various areas of the market that we can bring back to our own discussions. So thanks for that. And I just want to thank everyone one last time for joining the call. We appreciate it and have a great day. Thank you to Mark Reyes, Chris Heeks, and Matt Bonamuro for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about infrastructure and emerging market investment strategies, including the BMO MSCI Emerging Markets Index ETF, which provides excellent exposure and investing's only free lunch, diversification. Our experts also discussed the BMO Global Infrastructure Index ETF, ticker ZGI, and BMO's suite of corporate bond exposures, including ZHY for U.S. corporate bonds and its ESG equivalent, ESGH. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.